what uh <laughs> i don't think i've ever had so many different series going on at one time that i've been wanting to preach and uh i've got a series on the lord's prayer we've just started uh i've got a series on john three sixteen, ver- almost like word for word i mean word by word a couple phrases at a time one phrase at a time usually uh, through that i've been working on a lot uh, guarding your heart. I've been working on that as well. We're still gonna. So what I'm doing instead of bringing you a whole series, like say on John 3:16, for 10 weeks, right, in a row, or 10 weeks in a row on the Lord's Prayer, I thought it would be best, you know, to mix it up, you know. That way, you know, you're, you know, what I'm saying, you're, you're staying focused on a lot of different things at the same time, and you're not really just focused on one thing for you know two and a half months, but and 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 we'll really grow that way. But uh, I was pr- seeking the Lord. And I just want to, are you here to get your ears tickled? No. Or are you here because you, you're real and you want to be real with Jesus, amen? amen? That's why we're here, amen? Because it's going to be a challenging message. It's about being a true Christian. It's called, so you want to be a disciple. So you want to be a disciple. And turn to Luke chapter 9, verse 23. We're talking about true Christianity and being real. And you need to be real with the Lord now because things are going to get real tough in your life, whether things keep heating up in the world and we continue to experience greater and greater birth pains or just the trials that we face uh, in our lives, whether it's, you know, uh, the different things that a lot of the world faces as well, but that you face as one who proclaims Jesus Christ as your Lord. Uh, you're going to face certain things that are tough at times. And the question is, are you going to focus on Jesus is he going to remain first in your life? Is your walk going to match your talk? In Luke 9.23, we have this very uh, poignant text. And I want to look at this verse and dive into it a bit. In Luke 9.23, and Jesus has been talking to his dis- uh, disciples, okay? Uh, and he's, uh, the ministry of the twelve begins in chapter 9 and then he feeds the 5,000 and he's got his disciples that sit into him and others who maybe aren't committed truly, to truly follow him, that he's, a, that he's giving them an opportunity to become disciples. And then his disciples who are following him, uh, challenging them to follow him daily and to be daily committed to following him. And what it really means to be a true follower of Christ. Because my heart breaks. Because today we do see millions of people that profess Christ in this country alone. Hundreds and hundreds of millions around the world. Okay? You almost have, you know, uh, 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 almost a, I mean, it's almost like half the planet claims to profess Christ if you put, you know, evangelical Christians and, and so forth with, you know, the looser denominations and Roman Catholicism. I'm not saying that's all the church. I believe Roman Catholicism, unfortunately, preaches a different gospel. You have to work to attain salvation in Roman Catholicism and do enough good things and burn off your evil works in a place called purgatory and they don't fully trust in the blood of Christ which is the true gospel. So there's a lot of false gospels out there but there's also a lot of pro- false professions. There's a lot of people claiming to be Christians who were not. And I used to trip out on this one passage when I was a new Christian and because I was a new reliever and I was becoming more and more familiar with the different expressions of that which claimed to be Christian and that which looked like they were following the word but as a new Christian, I would trip out on Jesus' words in Matthew 7 where he mentioned many false prophets will arise, right? And uh, beware of false prophets, he talks about how, and uh, he said many in Matthew 24, but in Matthew 7, he says, beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ra- ravenous wolves. And he talked about how many will say on that day of judgment, Lord, Lord, didn't we do many wonderful miracles in your name, you know? 
cast out demons and prophesied in your name and so forth. And I was, I was, as a new Christian, I was like, huh, this is kind of strange because this passage is not yet fitting the, what's taking place in the body of Christ is not yet fitting what this passage says it'll look like. So this must be in the future to some extent. Because in those days, you know, I would combat, I, I spent hundreds of dollars buying books on, even from the hundreds of dollars from just the Mormon bookstore to see what they were saying to combat their, their, their false teachings. I spent a lot of time and some money on uh, witnessing the JWs just to become a, uh, uh, you know, ready always to give an answer for everyone who asks the, for the hope that's in you and, and earnestly contending for the faith once for all delivered to the saints and so forth. And, you know, as I did that, I started realizing, wow, a lot of these groups, they don't even talk about doing all these miracles, JWs and prophesying and all that, you know? And I go, who is this group, you know? And guess what? I, and I knew there were some people in the, and I believe we are not cessationists. We believe in the gifts of the Spirit, the power of God. But you didn't have so much sensationalism when I was a newer Christian. You didn't have all kinds of people claiming to be doing miracles and prophesying and everything. Now you have that going on today in what's called the New Apostolic Reformation Movement, the fastest, some estimate, is the fastest growing movement in the Christian church right now. And now you have all kinds of people claiming to be apostles. Some even saying, we're better, greater apostles than the Apostle Paul, you know, and Peter. And people think about how it would be, Rick Joyner says something like this, people think about how amazing it would be to be back in the days of the apostles and see what they were doing. But those guys are going to look at us and say, wow, I could be, wish I could do what these guys were doing. That's ridiculous, man. You know? Uh, but, and now you have all that go kind of stuff going on. And a lot of it stems from a lot of these false, made-up, weird stories come from not truly seeking to be disciples of Christ and truly following him where you have all these outlandish ideas and concepts and, and just flat out lies as to what God wants us to do as the church and what we're called to as a church. And the church is getting off the course of following Christ and denying ourselves and taking up our crosses and, 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 and following Christ to following our own agendas on so many levels. Because we don't want to be persecuted. It's a big part of it. We want to be the head, not the tail. We want to rule right now, you know. We want to take control of the governments of the world. And you got a lot of this going on right now. And a lot of people are duping themselves into thinking that, hey, God never wants us to be sick. We should always be healthy. You know, a lot of these guys are teaching Bill Johnson of Bethel, a lot of these other teachers, that Kenneth Copeland, you know, and a lot of these guys that, that you should never be sick. God always wants you healed. And if you're not healed, it's because of sin in your life or you don't have enough faith or something like that, right? It's like, well, wait a minute. We haven't yet received the redemption of our bodies, right? We're not yet resurrected. And Romans chapter 8 says the whole, all of creation is groaning to be delivered. We still await the resurrection, amen? amen. And these guys that are saying these things, Many of these word faith teachers, prosperity teachers, are very sick and ill at times. And, you know, it's, it's reality. But they're also saying society shouldn't be ill. It shouldn't be sick. We could have the kingdom right now before Jesus comes back, and it should be healed. So they apply it to also, you know, how we're going to, us Christians are going to heal the world. 
Man, gee, we're not going to have peace until the Prince of Peace comes back. Amen? Amen. Jesus said in the world you will have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I've overcome the world. Amen? We aren't going to have the kingdom in its fullest expression until the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords comes back. The Lord Jesus. Amen? And then when he comes back, it says the kingdom of this world become the kingdom of Christ. So right now there's all this weird stuff going around, whether it's the prosperity thing where God wants us to be rich and, and you know, wealthy and healthy and all these things. And there's a lot of people who become professing Christians because they go to a mega church that says, you can live your best life now, you know. It's one of the most popular books that had come out recently in the quote-unquote Christian church. Uh, but it's interesting. Jesus calls us to something far more radical than our own agendas and patting our pockets and, and, and being rich and everything else. It calls us something far better than that. And I want you to go and look at Luke chapter 9, verse 23. And he was saying to them all, if anyone wishes to come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. Wow. That is a lot. Short verse. But it says so much. And as I began really seeking about this message this morning, uh, what to deliver to you, uh, this morning is I wanted to talk about temptation to a degree but as the more I prayed and the more I sought the Lord I, I thought you know what we need to know what it means to be a real disciple and we talk about that off and on but I don't know man I don't know if I've ever just honed in on this one verse you hear me quoted a lot but I thought did I ever ever in all these years preach just from this one verse I don't think so I use it a lot in my own life because being a disciple, disciple, by the way, is not optional. It's not optional. There are many teaching a very serious false teaching today that will cost you your soul if you get led astray by it and live out the ramifications of what it Im implies. They say, you could be a Christian and you could be saved, right? Know Jesus and be heaven bound and reject being a disciple and still be a Christian being a disciple is just kind of the deeper life. It's, it's, it's going to the next degree of, of, of your walk, but you don't really have to be a disciple to follow Christ. The word disciple in the Greek is tied to the idea of learning, taking in what Jesus is teaching. And to be a true disciple, the scriptures teach, as it says in the book of James, chapter 1, a disciple of the Lord Jesus wrote, be doers the word, Right? Not hearers only, deluding your own selves. If you just hear the word, you're not really being a disciple. Jesus says every disciple, when the master is done with him, will look like his master. You become a follower of Christ, you're going to become Christ-like, amen? In fact, when you're born again and you put your trust in Jesus, the Bible says uh, in, what is it, 2 Corinthians 5.17, if anyone be in Christ, anyone, anyone who's in Christ, behold, old things have passed away and all things have what? Become new. There should be a difference in your life. Amen? So right now you have many, many. If I started saying the names, you'd know a lot of the names who are teaching you could be a believer but reject being a disciple of Jesus. That is so untrue. In fact, you're going to see it's untrue as we get into this text. Absolutely a lie. So as many people who Jesus can say, I never knew you. You know what he says? He's going to say to them, depart from me. Why? He says, you workers of lawlessness, you did not do the will of the Father. 
He's going to have them depart because they never truly followed the will of the Father. And the will of the Father is that we trust and we follow the Lord Jesus Christ. He says, you, you workers of lawlessness, meaning they did their own thing. And a lot of people are being led by that lie today. Jesus says, why do you call me Lord if you don't obey what I say? And many are going to say, Lord, Lord. And I'll say, I'll say to them, depart from me. It doesn't matter all the miracles you said you didn't. Were you following me? Are you following Christ? I preach like I do because my heart is so for you. It so wants to make sure that not one person under the, under the influence of my voice as a pastor perishes because I didn't make the message very, very clear. I fear and tremble when I'm up here before I come up here because I know I'm going to stand before God. And it says in James chapter 3, verse 1, Let not many of you seek to be teachers, for you shall incur a stricter judgment. So, so those who are, com- are preaching the word of God are going to have a stricter judgment. They must make sure what they're sharing is true. Amen. And it's from God's word and honors and glorifies God. <sighs> I read about a story a long time ago. I think it was Harry Ironside, popular preacher uh, several decades ago. Uh, but pretty solid in a lot of cases, a lot of, a lot of areas of his theology. Uh, he, he, he talked about a man in his day uh, who there was a train going on the tracks and a woman wanted to get attention of one of the attendants to find out to talk to the, the captain to have him pull over a certain area and uh, wanted to make sure it was good and everything and, and that he stopped at a specific spot on the way to the final destination. And she was trying to get hold of him and a gentleman said, don't worry, ma'am, I know exactly where you want to go. And I'll let you know, we're going to make that stop, and I'll let you know we make that stop to get off. She said, oh, okay. She trusted him. Oh, hey, we're here. Hey, you know, let me help you, you know. She gets off the train. And the captain had gotten word where she wanted to stop as well. He came back and said, oh, where's that lady that was sitting here? Oh, about an hour ago or so, I had her get off. You did what? And they backed up the train. They were able to back up the train to that spot and that wasn't the spot that she was supposed to be dropped off they found her but she was frozen to death okay and you know it would be terrible to freeze to death you know what you know that right but it would be even more terrible to be in hell forever because you listen to false teaching and if you're being taught that you don't truly have to be a follower of Christ to be a Christian that's a false teaching and if you follow those that teaching to the nth degree and you follow your flesh and don't deny yourself you don't take up your cross and you follow your flesh instead but call yourself a christian you're doomed and i'm telling you right now there are millions of professing christians who are not walking the talk you know how i know that you know how i know that without a doubt you know how many people in this fellowship live in other states right now and call me and say joe it's hard to find churches out here it's hard to find even true christians out here some of the believers here that go to uh, christian universities they say joe you know couple of our uh they, you know it's our name of the universities but i won't do that right now but they're like it's so hard to find other christians that fear and love god you know some of the professors love the lord i hear that you know but man all the all the kids I mean, they're going out getting hammered getting drunk doing drugs whatever you know and they're claiming to be christians and you know have how many, all throughout the bible but you have all kinds of people pro- proclaim to be christians but they're drunkards okay they're they're involved in all kinds of vile stuff and it's become more of a culture. And you heard John Brooks, lives in what, uh, North Carolina. He's at our ministry retreat a couple months ago. And he said, after 10 years, you know, he's still hop, church hopping, trying to find a church. 
And he said, so many people, he says, it's hard to witness because everybody claims they're a Christian. But so rarely you find someone who's actually following Christ. And it breaks my heart. And a lot of it is because of the teaching out there that once you're saved, you can just do whatever you want. You don't really have to be a disciple of Christ. This is serious stuff, guys. And it breaks my heart over and over again. I remember Leanne called me years ago and she's, you know, moved to Texas. A lot of Christians in Texas, you think, right? She's bawling, crying. It's so hard to find a church, Joe. It's hard, hard to find those who are truly following Christ. That is so heartbreaking. But you know what? Don't be part of the problem. Be part of the solution. Make sure you're leading by example. Make sure you're following Jesus. Make sure your kids know what it means to be a Christian. Amen? And make sure you have, you're influencing one another to follow Christ. Luke 9, 23, And he was saying to them, If anyone wishes to come after me, you wish to come after Jesus, that means you line up behind him. He's follow, you're following him. You're not just putting some bumper sticker on your car. You're not just saying, hi, I'm a Christian now. You're following him, right? If, if they wish to come after me, he must what? He must what? Deny himself. He must deny himself. You have to deny yourself, man. You have to deny yourself. You know, we have three great enemies we talk about. The world, the world system. We're talking about the evil world system. You, have you ever noticed that the world system is contrary to Christ, right? Just think of the popular entertainment out there, right? A lot of the popular politics out there. On both sides of the aisle. Now, in conservatism, it's okay to embrace homosexuality and the destruction of the family in that regard. But it's still considered Republican. It's like, whoa, man, what in the world? And oh, it's all, it's all great now. No, there's some huge problems. But on the other side of the aisle, it's pushing that as an agenda, you know, the destruction of traditional marriage in the nuclear family, pushing anti the state of Israel, pushing killing babies in the, in the womb, you know. How could you be a disciple of Christ? Come on, and vote for someone who believes it's okay to kill babies and it's part of that agenda. I don't get it. But there's all kinds of professing Christians who are politically aligned with people who would kill or, who are all for baby killing. It just blows me away. Come on, let's get real. We have to deny ourselves. Jesus said he must deny himself. So the world, the flesh, and the devil are our three main enemies. The world system, Jesus said, love not the world. Or, I'm sorry. Jesus says, I've chosen you out of the world. Okay? First John chapter 2 says, you know, verse 15, love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. For all that is of the world is the lust of the eyes and the lust of the flesh, right? And the pride of life, right? And the world is passing away and the lust thereof. But he that does the will of God abides forever. So the world is our enemy. The devil is our enemy. Be sober, be vigilant. For your adversary, the devil, walks by as a roaring lion seeking someone to devour, right? First Peter 5, 8. But also the flesh. The flesh is our enemy. We must deny ourselves. Our, we have a fallen human nature. When man rebelled against God, we were created in the image of God. But when man rebelled against God, his nature became fallen. We're still made in the image of God. The Bible shows us even in the, in the New Testament that we still have vestiges of the nature of God, reflections of his nature, or I should say his image, okay? He communicates his, his communicable attributes to humans through faith in Christ, but not his ontological, his incommunicable attributes like his, you know, omniscience, his self existence as he 
one who alone is immortal. He'll give us eternal life, but he alone is immortal. But he communicates who he is to us through faith as we become more like Christ. But guess what? When we become Christians, we receive a new nature. Amen? The Holy Spirit comes to live in us, and he changes our hearts. But guess what? Your flesh doesn't disappear. That Adamic nature, who you were when you were in rebellion to Christ before you got saved, does not all of a sudden just disappear. No longer a problem. Every morning when you wake up, guess what happens? Your flesh knocks and says, hey, I want to reign today. I want you to do whatever you want to do. I don't, you know, don't put Christ first. Live for yourself. Gorge yourself on the world and things of the devil and all that. The world, the flesh, and the devil are enemies. And that, that world, that flesh is that Adamic nature, that fallen sinful nature that we inherited from the first human beings. And we come to Christ, if we're going to follow him, if we're going to come after him, we must deny ourselves. We have to deny our flesh. And say, I have to say no to the old Joe, who I was before I became a Christian which was just rebellious. A number of you people knew me, and I knew you before we were believers in this fellowship to this day. Okay? Not a pretty situation. Okay? You know? But it's interesting because he must deny, he must deny himself. So first thing on the list is Jesus said you must deny yourself. And now as a Christian, if you've truly embraced Christ, there is a war within. You have a war within you. In fact, uh, it says in uh, Galatians 5, Galatians 5, verses 17 and 18, for the flesh sets, its side against the, it sets itself against the spirit. In some translations, like the NIV translates that the sinful nature, that fallen aspect of man, okay? The sarks represents that sinful aspect of who we were before Christ that still resides there with us. For the flesh sets its desire against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh. The Holy Spirit who lives within us is against the flesh. For these are in opposition to one another, so that you may not do the things that you please. So there's a, they're in, they're in a war. And the flesh is trying to overcome the spirit, right? Uh, so you, you won't do what the spirit pleases, and the spirit's trying to overcome your flesh. So you won't do what your flesh pleases. But you must what? Verse 25. For what is... Uh, I'm sorry, verse uh, yeah, 20, I'm sorry, verse 18. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. So if you're led by the Holy Spirit and following things of the Spirit, as he goes on to say a few verses later in verse 24, all those who belong to Christ Jesus, he says, have crucified the flesh with its affections and desires. That means when your flesh says in the morning, do those sinful things that you used to do before you became a Christian. Come on, you'll have fun, you'll have a good time. You crucify, you put to death those old desires that knock and want to have ascendancy in your life. And perhaps some are knocking now. Perhaps you're allowing some of them to come into your life now and come back and be resurrected. We're in a battle. And it's a battle for your soul. First Peter 2.11 says, Beloved, I urge you as aliens and strangers... Strangers in this world, aliens in this world system, to abstain from fleshly lust, to abstain from fleshly lust which wage war against the soul. So you are in a spiritual battle. And the fleshly desires that live in you want to have power and direct your life. They don't want you in fellowship this morning. The world doesn't. The devil sure doesn't. And your flesh wants to be instant, instantaneous gratification. Feed me. Don't follow Jesus. 
Well, just to come here or to watch my live stream and say, hey, I want to get in the Word. That's a good choice. Amen? Amen. And the Bible talks about this, this flesh. In Genesis 6, 5, the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth and every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And in chapter 8, verse 21, it goes on to say, after the flood, that God knows that from childhood their thoughts are evil continually. That's the human race. Okay, that's acknowledging that there's depravity in the human race. Amen? Psalm 5.9, speaking of the wicked, for there is no truth in their mouth. You watch mainstream media lately? <laughs> you know? Their inmost self is destruction. Their throat is an open grave. They flatter with their tongue. Wow. Ecclesiastes 9.3, the hearts of the children of men are f- is full of evil. And madness is in their hearts. Wow. Jeremiah chapter 17, verse 9. The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? I mean, that's a condition. Do you get your heart checked by a doctor? We get your heart checked by the great physician. He says, the heart's deceitful above all things, desperately wicked. Who can know it? Then he goes on and says that he tests the heart. He's the one that checks it out. He knows it. And that's if you're left to your own heart. You'd ruin your life and the lives of people around you. Jesus said in Mark 7, 21 through 23, from within, out of the heart of man, come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, foolishness. All these things come from within. In Romans 3, 9, the Bible says, none is righteous, no, not one. In Galatians 5, 19 through 21, it says, now the works of the flesh, that's what we're supposed to be denying. And when you read this, you understand why we're supposed to deny it. Now the works of flesh are manifest, which are these, adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lasciviousness, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, variance, emulations, wrath, strife, seditions, heresies, envies, murders, drunkenness, revelings, and such like. And he goes on to say, and I warn you, even as I warned you before, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. So we're talking about kingdom of God, being a true disciple and entering the kingdom. Denying yourself and the flesh. He goes on to say a little bit later in chapter 6, verse 7 through 9, Be not deceived, God is not mocked. He that sows to his flesh will from the flesh reap destruction. That's powerful. But he that sows to the Spirit, he says, will reap eternal life. And we shall reap, he says, if we do not grow weary. We continue to put Jesus first. We continue to... Deny the, deny the flesh and so to the things of the spirit amen? amen so we have to make sure we recognize there is a battle and you know our nation was founded by a bunch of deists and also professing Christians and I believe also there were real Christians some real Christians there too but uh, history tells us when you study it that there was a mixture with regard to the founding fathers but one thing some of these founding fathers knew was that the human heart was capable of great wickedness. And they, seen, they looked at the tyranny around the world. They looked at the despots around the world. And they said, if our country is going to survive for a period of time, and it will only survive if there are different branches of government. Because it was at Madison who said, men aren't angels, you know? And that's why there needed to be a separation of powers, Right? the judicial branch and the legislative branch and the executive branch, three separate branches that would hold each other accountable because men, after all, aren't angels. We have these fallen natures, guys. 
And that way they check each other. In fact, it's very interesting. George Washington said a first president, right? A founding father, a just estimate of that love of power and openness to abuse in which predominates in the human hearts. See, he talked about the problem of the human heart is disposed toward wanting to dominate with power. It's sufficient to satisfy us of the truth of this position. The necessity of reciprocal checks in the exercise of political power by dividing and distributing it into different uh, depositories has been invented, being proven by experiments, ancient and modern, some of them in our, our country and under our own eyes. Now we're saying, hey, the human heart's a mess. <laughs> and there needs to be a separation of powers because people are prone, the human heart's prone to wanting to abuse power. The second president, our second president, John Adams, he mentioned three different things that show us, that give evidence that there should be a separation of powers within the government. And by the way, did you notice what just happened? Right? You've got the legislative branch, right? The executive, you know, the presidency and so forth, the uh, legislative, the lawmakers, Congress, Senate, what have you, the judicial, the judges, and so forth. But isn't it interesting? Remember how Hillary Clinton had kind of accidentally smashed her iPhone and stuff and bleach-bitted it and erased all the emails and says, well, they were just emails about, you know, the coming parties and stuff. And, oh, well, why'd you go to all that trouble to do that? Remember that? Do you know what just happened with Mueller's team? It's in the news right now. I think it was 26 different phones belonging to these leaders when they... Re- you know, try to sequester these things. Oh, guess what? They just accidentally all got deleted, all their memories. I mean, this is the problem, guys. And more and more, our government has to, we've got a concern about it merging together. Because you have, sometimes you have an administration working with the judicial branch, working with the, you know, and it just becomes morphed into one. This is crazy stuff. Oh, well, you know what? I, you know, lost my password or you know some one screen was just totally blank they couldn't get it and it's like what happened all these phones just happened to lose all their memory and all the calls that were made come on guys we live you know thy kingdom come amen thy will be done that's why you have to trust in jesus the bible says curse the one who puts his trust in man give me jesus Jesus, amen john adams our second president he actually gave three different reasons one was well one was history tells us what happens when power is concentrated just to one area? You know, tyrants around the world, they broke away from Britain, right? Number two, we say the universal experience tells us, you know, about how the human heart can be, right? And then number three, he mentions Scripture, the Word of God. And he used Jeremiah 17, 9, the heart's deceitful of all things, desperately wicked, who can know it? As one of the basis for their, the need for separation of powers. Because we have, there's, there's some depravity in the human heart right to expect self-denial adams wrote our second president to expect self-denial for men when they have a majority in their favor and consequently power to gratify themselves is to disbelieve all history and universal experience those are the first two things i mentioned it is to disbelieve the revelation of the word of god which informs us the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked 
There is no man, he goes on to say a little further down, there is no man so blind as to not see that to talk of founding a government upon a supposition that nations and great bodies of men left to themselves will practice, of course, of self-denial, that they'll practice, of course, self-denial, is either to babble like a newborn infant or deceive like an unprincipled imposter. Meaning you're either like an infant, don't know history, don't have experiences to see the evil around the world, or you're just an imposter, you know? You're just denying, you know, the truth of God's word. Uh, Jeremiah 79, the hearts deceitful of all things are desperately wicked, who can know it? So it's interesting. Those who study human nature know that human nature is prone to evil, right? And according to Jesus, it is evil. And that's why he had to come as our Savior. Our greatest problem was not an economic problem. Our greatest problem was not uh, monetary. Our greatest problem wasn't a lack of knowledge. Our greatest problem was sin. Amen? And that's why we need a Savior, not an economist, to come and save us. Amen? That's why Jesus came. Now, it's interesting. In Romans 13, 4, you could turn there if you will. This is one way to deny yourself. It says, and I'm going to have to speed up a little bit, guys. So, you know, get ready to turn to Scripture if you can because I don't want to have make this a three-part series, denying yourself, taking up your cross, following Him because I have too many series in the air. But it says in verse 14, put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh in regard to its lust. Don't make provision for your flesh. Don't satisfy those fleshly cravings and desires. Say no to your flesh. It only means you destruction. Amen? Amen. And you know, what does he mean to make no provision for the flesh? Look at verse, back up to verse 11. Do this knowing that the time that is, that already the hour for you to awaken from your sleep uh, for now, your salvation is nearer to you when you first believed. You know, we got to wake up from our sleep, our slumber, our salvation, our final salvation is closer, is nearer to us than when we first put our trust in Jesus. The night, verse 12, is almost gone and the day is near. Therefore, let us lay aside the deeds of darkness and put on the armor of light. You, make, you don't make provision by the flesh by putting off the deeds of darkness. What deeds? Let us behave properly as in the day, not in carousing, not in partying. When you get together and you go to parties where people are getting drunk and doing, you know, chasing each other and stuff, that's going to cause you to be more susceptible to make provision for your flesh and drunkenness, okay? When people are serving alcohol, guess what? I mean, it happens over and over again. I know it. I preach about it because I hear about it. I have to deal with people who, oh, I just had, was having a little bit, and before you know it, they're drunk. They're fighting with each other or whatever. And it's a sick thing, man. It, for me, it's a lot easier. Just Why do I even need it, right? I don't even need my house, okay? Not condemning if you have a, a few sips of something, but you got to be really careful because you might be having a few sips with somebody else and not know that you're, you are contributing to the provision of their flesh, and then they get addicted, and you lead to their ruination, that's a serious thing, man. Because you cause one of these little ones to stumble. Jesus says, it's better a large millstone will be hung around your neck and be thrown in the depths of the sea than what is going to suffer. So you need to be very careful you don't cause your brother to stumble. Amen? You don't cause your brother to perish for whom Christ died. Now, you've got to be very careful. Get rid of the partying. Get rid of the excessive drinking. Okay? Not in sexual promiscuity and sensuality. That means if you you got some porn sites you go to, they need to be deleted. I delete them, Joe. Then I go right back to them. They get rid of your computer. Amen? Amen. Better to go to heaven maimed than go to hell with your whole body, Jesus said. Amen? Amen. 
Well, we need to put off the flesh. Go to Romans chapter 6, verse 10 through 19. We need to put off the old man and put on the new man. Colossians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4. I'm sorry, Colossians chapter 3 deals with that too. Romans chapter 6, look at verse 10. I love this, man. For the death that he died, Jesus is speaking, he died to sin once for all. But the life that he lives, he lives to God. He's our example. Even so, consider yourselves to be dead to sin. Did you catch that, brothers and sisters? You're supposed to consider yourself dead to sin. Dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its lust. And do not go on presenting the members of your body to sin as instruments of unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those alive from the dead and your members as instruments of righteousness to God. For sin shall not be master over you, for you are not under the law, but under grace. Grace doesn't mean you can go sin as much as you want. Grace means that you are put into death. It, it should have that effect in your life. Amen. The grace of God that brings salvation. We're saved by grace through faith. But the grace of God that brings salvation teaches us to deny ungodliness. Amen. And worldly desires. Titus chapter 2. Right here he says very clearly, For sin shall not make master over you. For you are not under law, but under grace. Verse 15. What then? Shall we sin because we are not under law, but under grace? May it never be. That's not what his message is. Verse 16, do you not know that when you present yourselves to someone as slaves for obedience, you are slaves of the one to whom you obey either of sin resulting in death or of obedience resulting in righteousness? I mean, you're going to be a servant of God or you're going to be a slave to sin. There's only two options, guys. And you say, oh, I'm free to just sin like hell. No, you're, you're a slave to Satan. You're a slave to sin. You're a slave to death. You're a servant of hell. You're doomed forever. You need to repent. Verse 17, but thanks be to God that though you were slaves to sin, you became obedient from the heart to that form of teaching of which you are, were committed. And having been freed from sin, you became slaves of righteousness. I am speaking in human terms because of the weakness of your flesh. For just as you presented your members as slaves to impurity and to lawlessness, resulting in further lawlessness, so now present your members as slaves to righteousness, resulting in sanctification. Amen. Go to chapter 8, verses, verse 12, or verse 10. Just a few, switch a chapter, a couple chapters over. Verse 10, if Christ is in you, though the body is dead because of sin, yet the spirit is alive because of righteousness. But if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. Praise God, you can expect help from the Holy Spirit. I always say you cannot live the Christian life on your own, amen? You have to have the empowerment and enablement of the Holy Spirit. You have to say, Lord, give me strength. Lord, pray. Jesus said, pray that you do not enter into temptation. Amen? Pray, Matthew 26, he said to his disciples, that you do not enter into temptation. The Spirit is willing, he said, but the flesh is weak. Amen? And the Lord's Prayer, Jesus says, this is how you to pray. And then he says, lead us not into temptation. There's one of the parts of the prayer, but deliver us from evil. Amen? So you cry out to God for strength. Amen? Enablement, empowerment, leading, guiding. And then in verse 12 it says, So then, brethren, we are not under obligation. I'm sorry. We are under obligation not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. For if you are living according to the flesh, you must die. But if you, by the Spirit, are putting to death the deeds of the body, you will what? You will live. For all who are being led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God. If you want to live as a child of God, man, you want to be alive as a child of God, you need to crucify the flesh with its affections and desires. Put them to death by the power of the Spirit. But what happens to you? How do you live your life? 
Do you kind of, and I hate this kind of phony Christianity where you compartmentalize your lives. Well, on Sunday morning, you know, I come to Jesus and, you know, but, you know, by Sunday night, I'm getting hammered, man. You know? And then Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Wednesday night, yeah, I go to Bible study. I'm, you know, act like Christian. But Thursday, man, I'm cussing up a storm, you know? Talking totally different than I would be talking among my Christian friends. You, there's two of you. There's your flesh on parade, and then there's trying to be of the Spirit. You can't have two different lives. You have to be consistent. Amen? The Bible talks about the tongue. It talks about the mouth. And it says there shouldn't be bitter and sweet water coming out of the same fountain. It doesn't work like that. That's in James chapter 3. Amen? How are you talking to each other? How are you talking to your God? Can I talk to my God in humble praise and, and, and worship and, and with reverence and then look to my brother and curse him? No. That's not congruent with true Christianity. We need to be consistent in our walks with Jesus. Amen. We have to deny ourselves, you know. Your flesh is very deadly. Your flesh is inflammable. A little spark could set it off. So you must guard your heart in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. I'll tell you what. You ever watch those old, old Western movies, you know, with the, tri with, with the nitroglycerin? Remember that? How many of you guys give away your age, you know? Or maybe it was just gun smoke or the, you know, the rifleman or something and you'd have they'd be pulling this wagon full of remember those they you know they had a that was like the craziest scene because when you're a kid they didn't have all these special effects and stuff like we have now but guess what they could make a <laughs> big explosion in a cowboy movie you didn't usually see that a cowboy movie but when they were hauling nitroglycerin and you have bottles stacked up upon one another and they've got these bumpy roads with this carriage and all it takes is one good bump and <laughs> one spark <laughs> well guess what that's like your flesh man you're carrying it around a bunch of nitroglycerin, spiritually speaking. You have, a, you have flesh that the enemy wants to set off and destroy your life into a ball of fire. And you must guard your heart. Amen? Amen? And you must seek the Lord. And you must deny yourself. And the next part of that verse, you must take up your cross. Verse 23 of chapter 9. And he was saying to them, Oh, if anyone wishes to come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross. You must take up his cross daily. You have to take up your cross. What did that mean? We read take up your cross and so many of us have, you know, a, a silver cross or a gold cross or a cross with jewels in or what have you. Oh, it's beautiful. The cross is so beautiful. And guess what? The cross is so beautiful because of what it represents and what Jesus did on it. Amen? But when Jesus said take up the cross, they weren't thinking, oh, the cross is so beautiful. The way we think of the cross today, we think of it so beautiful because we know what Jesus did on it for us. It's him that made it a beautiful expression, amen? In his day when he said that to them, it was a torture cross, you know? It was a place of brutal death. Remember, Jesus was beaten and bloodied and deformed in what they did to his vis visage uh, beyond that of any man. You couldn't even recognize him because the beating he took before he went to the cross and how he looked and all mangled when he was on the cross. It was an instrument of death, an instrument of torture. And to say, to take up your cross, he's not saying to take up my cross. Only he could take up his cross, amen? amen. Only he could die for the sins of the world. He's not calling for us to die for the sins of the world. When we're to follow Christ, we're not following him in redeeming the world through our deaths. We're following his example, and we're dying to ourselves. So it was an instrument of death. And when you carry the cross, it wasn't like you'd carry this whole, you know, in the Jesus movies, they almost invariably would show him carrying usually this big old cross. You couldn't, 
you couldn't typically, I mean, he's Jesus, so he can carry the world if God wanted him to, right? If he wanted to. But he came as a man, amen? And what they do is they give you the cross beam, okay, the horizontal aspect of the cross. Because typically, as it's understood uh, historically, that the vertical aspect, right, the vertical beam was pounded into the ground and they were kind of like permanent fixtures for a period of time and they were just on the sides of roads and then the person who was condemned to, to death and when he was sentenced would from the place of his sentencing carry the cross beam to the place of his execution so carrying that cross beam was the idea of carrying your cross and it meant to guess what when you had a cross you had no rights roman government just poop no rights and jesus is saying this if you want to be in my kingdom you want to follow me right you need to give up the rights of your flesh, the so-called rights that you think you have, right? And you need to deny yourself and take up your cross. You need to take up your cross and follow me. Now, it's interesting because they knew what it was meant for people to pick up their cross and carry those cross beams. And those cross beams were very heavy because they had to hold your weight and so forth. And they had to carry them for a long distance at times. And they knew how, how, you know, you know what it entailed? You know what happened to criminals? But these guys aren't criminals. But what happened to the criminals that were going to the cross to die, taking their cross beams? They would endure insults. They would endure mockings. They would endure persecutions. People spitting upon them. People throwing things at them. All kinds of ridicule. They're considered the scum of the earth. And Jesus is saying, hey, if you want to follow me, guess what? You're signing up to be rejected by the world and be condemned by the world around you. And he said we're called to count the cost. Is it worth it to you? It's absolutely worth it to me, man. Because eternal life blows away the little morsel that Satan offers you in this world. The little temporary gratification that I get from my flesh is zilch because that brings destruction to myself, others, and eternal destruction in the lake of fire. So for me and for you, it ought to be, we ought to do the math, Right? But guess what? You still, he's saying, hey, you're basically signing up to be persecuted by the world, to be rejected by the world, and to, die, and to die, deny your flesh and doing your own thing contrary to the will of God. And by the way, it should be a very simple proposition spiritually to you to deny yourself. Because when you're denying yourself, he's talking about denying your sinful nature and denying a life of sin, which leads to destruction. Sin is destructive. Why wouldn't we want to deny that which is destructive? I'm simply denying the, uh, the nitroglycerin, the opportunity to just explode in my, destroy my life. That's all I'm denying. Amen? Amen? You have to understand it that way. So taking up your cross means to, means to deny yourself. Means to, uh, you know, put him first. And in 1 Peter 2.21 the Bible says, Peter says, and Peter learned what it meant to take up his cross, for you have been called for this purpose, since Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example. See, he left us an example when he died on the cross. Uh, for you to follow in his steps, who committed no sin, nor was any deceit found in, his step, found in his mouth. And while being reviled, he did not revile in return. While suffering, he uttered no threats, but kept entrusting himself to him who judges righteously. And he himself bore our sins in his body, on the cross so that we might die to sin and live to righteousness for by his wounds you were healed what is going on there you guys think about it he's saying we're to follow jesus and we're to follow his example and we're going to go through suffering like he went through that's part of taking up your cross accepting the ridicule of the world you know i bought a mask you know and i bought a mask with a big it was 
bright blue with a big white cross on it. It's pretty, beautiful, pretty. And I wear pretty things, but it looks pretty cool. And I thought, I'm going to wear it because if I'm wearing a mask, I'm going to witness for Jesus in the supermarkets, wherever I go, you know? You know, your flesh is saying, oh, you know what? Some people think you're a Jesus freak. Oh, they might mock you. Just being honest with you, I'm like, shine you flesh. I don't listen to you. You know, I wear it, you know, when I go to the different stores. And you know what? I, I, I got it, man. Some guy goes, I love your mask. I'm like, okay, great, you know? And uh, he, didn't, he didn't mock me, but, you know, I'm sure some people look at it, but who cares? We live our lives a flash here, then we're gone. I want to be a witness, right? And, and I want to shine the light for Jesus. But that same guy, was, I, I said, so I started talking to him, and he, he said, you know, I follow the guy on that cross, that guy that died on that cross. I started engaging him, you know, a little bit later because he was a manager of the store my wife and I were at. And then, uh, nice guy, you know. But I asked him if he's in fellowship and where he goes. And he told me the church in the valley that he went to. But he said, well, I used to go there, you know. Kids are grown now, and I work with the public all day, so it's hard to be around the public all the time. And, but I gave him the scripture, not to forsake the assembly of yourselves together. It's important that you're around with other believers, you know. Encourage them, you know. So we can make our lives count. And don't, praise God, you know. Paul talked about, if I'm going to glory in anything, I'm going to glory in the cross of Jesus Christ, Amen. Because it's through the cross that we have eternal life. It's through the cross that we see the most wonderful act in the history of all existence that ever took place. God becoming a man and dying in our place for our sins. Amen. It's something we ought to be celebrating. The Bible talks about the cross is foolishness so those who perish. Yeah, they're perishing. But guess what? I feel bad for them. But guess what? God's going to bring some of them back from the dead. Amen. And we want to be witnesses of his cross. And we need to follow him. And I'll tell you what, man. There's a lot of practical applications as to what it means when Peter talks about following him and will be persecuted, but you need to still follow him, deny yourself, and take up your cross. You need to follow his example. And he goes on right after he talks about following Christ's example. And he was reviled, but didn't revile back. He committed himself to God. You commit yourself to God when you go through persecutions. You put your trust in him, amen? And Peter goes on to say in 1 Peter 3, 1, in the same way, you wives, be submissive to your own husbands, so that even if any of them are disobedient to the word, they may be won without a word by the behavior of their wives. That's 1 Peter 3, 1, right after he talks about Christ giving us an example. Sisters, God is giving an example to deny yourself in this world and hold the family together by looking to Christ and following his example and being a light to a husband that's disobedient to him. In fact, husbands are warned same thing first peter 3 7 you husbands in the same way live with your wives in an understanding way as with someone weaker since she's a woman and show her honor as a fellow heir of the grace of life so that your prayers will not be hindered meaning your wife as a as a fellow believer she's a fellow heir of the grace of life she's your teammate she's not to be trampled underfoot you're to be praying for her you're to be an example to her you're to be patient with her even as the lord is patient with you Husbands, love your wives, Ephesians 5, just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, right? That he might, that cl having cleansed her by the washing of the water of the word, that he might present to himself the church in all her glory, having no spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she would be holy and blameless. So guess what, man? When we deny ourselves, we take up our crosses. We're following Christ's example. And by following Christ's example, we have a radical influence on the others around us. It's a beautiful, beautiful, beautiful thing. Servants, be submissive to your masters. That's in the same chapter when he goes on to give Jesus an example. Servants, be submissive to your masters with all respect, not only to those who are good and gentle, but also to those who are unreasonable. Okay? And throughout Peter, he talks about obeying the government even when they're unreasonable, unless they tell you to contradict the word of God. Amen? Because guess what? We want to have a missional attitude. We want to win the lost. Amen? I'm like, oh, it's not my, I'm going to exert my rights. Well, wait a minute. What about all these lost souls out here that are looking at you? You're supposed to be an example of Christ and show what it means to be submitted to God. Amen. 
And that means when the government says, hey, you know what, go the extra mile with me, you go. Okay? I don't have a hard time doing those things. However, when the government tells me to do something contrary to the word of God, I say no, because I'm an example for Christ still. And sometimes it means disobeying the government if they tell me to do contrary to Christ. But you will have persecution. John 15, 18 through 20. Jesus said, the world hates you. You know that it hated me before it hated you. If you're of the world, the world would love its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, because of this, the world hates you. Remember the word that I said to you, a slave is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will keep yours also. Are you ready to be persecuted? All those who live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. That's a promise. There's a bunch of promise books. That's one of the promises that doesn't make these promise books. They have all these promises of God, but they leave out the warnings. But that's a, that's a warning, but it's a promise. All those who live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. And evil men will wax worse and worse. goes on to say that. For they'll go from bad to worse. So, and that's, long, that's not long after he said a few verses earlier, in the last days, perilous times will come. Men will be lovers of self. See, the very thing that we're called to deny is what the world's in love with. Me magazine. Self magazine, you know. My space and facebook and it's all about us no man make it about jesus do you have a facebook do people know that christ is first in your life on your facebook i'm just saying pray about that be a witness make your life count in this world amen we need to deny ourselves put him first and recognize that the Lord said these things were coming. How do I take up my cross? How, do I, how did Jesus take up his cross, literally? The night before he was crucified, he was in the Garden of Gethsemane praying this, not my, what, will, but thy will be done. That's, that's how you do it. Say, not my will, Father, but thy will be done. And in doing that, you're denying yourself. You're putting yourself on the cross. You're following him. And Jesus said, we're supposed to pray that way. When they asked him how to pray, he said, Our Father who art in heaven, right? One of the things he said, Pray thy kingdom come, thy will be done. It's supposed to be our prayer, guys. So when people ask me, what does it mean to take up my cross? Deny myself, it means to pray that God's will be done in your life. And it means to do his will in your life. And deny anything that comes out of your heart that's contrary to his will. How do I know his will in my life? Right here. It is written, amen. We have the living word of God. It's so important. And by the way, he says, back to that verse, 9.23, and he was saying to them, if anyone wishes to come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross. But he didn't just say take up his cross. He said he must take up his cross how often? Daily. 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 Literally day by day. Every day. And you have so many Sunday morning Christians. And they're not even Christians one day a week. They're Christians for an hour and 10 minutes a week or 45 minutes a week or however short a service they can find somewhere just to put in a little bit of time and say, I'm a Christian. We're called to be Christians and follow Christ and deny ourselves and take up our crosses daily. 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 Keith Green has a song called To Obey is Better Than Sacrifice where he talks about this concept of just putting Jesus on the shelf most of the week and say the little time aside for him where you claim to be Christian. 
and Keith Green's song, and he was the, he was the biggest, most popular Christian artist before he died in a, in a plane accident there in Texas. He headed up Last Days Ministries, and, uh, and he wrote in this song, and a lot of people tripped out on his music because it was in your face to be a true follower of Christ and to be discipled, to be a disciple of Christ and to make disciples and be witnesses and to obey is better than sacrifice. The lyrics are, and I'll just read some of them, to obey is better than sacrifice. I don't need your money. I want your life. I hear you say that I'm coming back soon, but you act like I'll never return. Well, you speak of grace and my love so sweet, how you thrive on milk, but reject my meat. And I can't help weeping of how it will be if you keep on ignoring my words. Well, you pray and to prosper and succeed, but your flesh is something I just can't feed. To obey is better than sacrifice. I want more than Sunday and Wednesday nights. Because if you can't come to me every day, then don't bother coming at all. Think that song would make it today? In pop Christianity? Tony, we need to sing this song, man. Come on, Doug. We've got to get this song going. It's a beautiful song. I love it. We need to follow Christ. We need to put him first. We need to follow his example. When it says in 1 Peter chapter 2, because that's the next part of the verse. The next part of the verse is, if anyone, <laughs> right, would come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross daily, in the last part of the verse, and what? Follow me. We have to follow Christ. We must follow Jesus. Amen? And, that, and when it says that in 1 Peter chapter 2, that Jesus has left us an example you know what the word example in the Greek means? It's pretty cool. It literally had to do with a paper that you put over a drawing or some writing and you trace over it. It's tracing paper. So we're supposed to look at Christ's life, right? And we're supposed to say, hey, in what ways am I to imitate him? In what ways am I to be like him? Amen? He went to the cross and left me an example to endure suffering and persecution even when the whole world comes against me to continue to follow him. He said, hey, if they hated me, the master, they're going to hate you too, right? How much more, he said. And that's how it is. They crucified our Lord and Savior, okay? Some are saying, but if we could just do enough signs and wonders and enough miracles and the church could be just so united in one accord, man, we'll take dominion over the world. Everybody will see it and we'll, yeah, let them Christians take the reign. You think the world's going to do that? No. In fact, guess what? If any, the church was ever full of signs and wonders and full-blown unity, and you can only be uni unified under God's truth, by the way, yeah. not under heresies and lies. Sanctify them by thy truth, Jesus said, amen. But guess what? In the church at Jerusalem, right? They were all in one accord. It says that. They were one accord. It doesn't mean one little car squished together praying. I mean, you know, <laughs> it means they were all unified in one accord. And there were signs and miracles taking place. And there was revival. There was people coming to Christ, right? 3,000 saved that first day. Amen? Amen? Did Jerusalem all of a sudden say, Oh, guess what? Let's let you take over the reign of government. No. no. They persecuted them. And they were scattered everywhere. Because Jesus said the way of righteousness, the narrow road that leads to life, there's only a few that will take it. And there's a great multitude. Many will go down the road to the broad destruction. There's false prophets on that road pretending that's Christianity though it's not 
So we must take up our crosses daily. We must follow him. You know, go to Luke chapter, or go to the end of John, the Gospel of John. And we get to John 21. It's really interesting because Peter had just rejected the Lord Jesus Christ uh, for he denied him three times. Remember that? Peter had said before that, you know, Jesus said, will you two go away? Because in John 6, verse 66, it says many of his disciples followed him no longer. And he said to Jesus, or Peter and the disciples, will you two go away from me? Peter says to him, where will we go, Lord? You have the words of eternal life. Yet Peter did not pray and deny his flesh that he would not enter into temptation, but he kept falling asleep. And he fulfilled Jesus' prophecy because Jesus knew exactly what was going to happen to Peter because Peter was full of himself and his flesh and they might all deny you, but I'll never even contradict what Jesus says is going to happen. And then he falls asleep because he's confident in his flesh. Paul says, I put no confidence in the flesh. Paul says, in the flesh dwells no good things. Don't put confidence in yourself. That's when you fall over your face. Take heed, place. Take heed, let him who thinks he stands. Take heed, lest he fall. Put your confidence in the Lord. Rely on his strength. Rely on the power of his Holy Spirit. You need to rely on him through prayer. But Peter relied on himself. He fell, denied the Lord three times, the cock crowed. Well, guess what? Jesus said, if you deny me before men, I'll deny you before my Father, right? He also said, he'll deny us before the Father and the angels. But if you confess me before men, I'll confess you, right? Was it all over for Peter? No, because Peter was weeping bitterly and he wanted to repent and get right. He didn't want to go out that way. And Jesus addressed Peter before he ascended to heaven after his resurrection. He appeared to the disciples and he was bringing Peter back to his first love. Because remember when he first called Peter to himself, what was going on? Do you remember that? He was fishing, right? When he really called him to truly follow him. And he, Jesus borrowed his boat, remember? Because <laughs> he wanted to speak to the crowd. And the crowd was pressing in on him. And that was a nice gesture. They let, you know, Peter, these guys let him use his, their boat. Jesus wanted to bless them. He says, hey, cast your, bo- uh, your uh, net on the other side. They're like, what? <laughs> you know, here's this rabbi telling us what to do. And we're fishermen, man. They did it and they got a nice big haul. And then that's what Peter said, depart from him, a man of unclean lips. Right? I mean, I'm, I'm a sinful man. And then Jesus said to follow me, right? And I'll make you fishers of men. By the way, disciples, those who follow Christ, become fishers of men. We reach other people for Christ. Amen? That's what your life should be about. You should be praying for your family members. You should be praying for the lost. You should be a, a salt and light in this world. Amen? And Peter began to follow him. But Peter got away from him. He denied him three times. But Jesus was going to bring Peter back. I mean, he was at that, that, that woman said, are you, are you, you're one of them, man. You saw your, your speech gives you away. You're a Galilean. And it says Peter denied Jesus, you know, with, with, he swore, you know, and stuff and just tried to look different than he was when he's following Jesus. And well, now he's out fishing with the other disciples, right? Back to his old life to a degree, right? And it's right, right after, not long after the resurrection. And Jesus is on the shore, watching them and Jesus says have you know he basically I don't have time to go through the whole story but he engages them and they hadn't caught anything they'd been fishing all night and now it was morning time he said cast your net on the other side of the boat they're like who is this okay we'll do it they just cast her and we'll entertain the guy maybe they're thinking I don't know 
And guess what? They brought up this huge haul of fish, 173 fish, so much that the nets started to break. They were tripping out. And guess what? The apostle John, who had been the closest to Jesus because he had pressed in the most, because he was the youngest, he was like a child, and he was at Jesus' feet, leaning on him at the Last Supper, wanting to hear his every word. And he was like, it's the Lord, because he put it together. He goes, wait a minute, this happened before. That's the Lord. He's on the seashore. Peter loved the Lord deep down. And he dove in the water. He swam to the shore, sitting at Jesus' feet. And guess what? What happens when it's in the morning and you just jumped in the water? What happens when you get out? Probably pretty cold, right? And there's a fire there because Jesus had broiled some fish. And guess what Peter's doing? He must be warming himself by this fire as he's talking to Jesus. Well, last time that was happening, he denied him three times, amen? Jesus brought him back to the fire. That, that word fire for fire is only used two times, once where he denied him and then right here. And guess what? He denied him. He started following him with the fish situation. Remember that? And now he's going to affirm him when the fish miracle is, happens all over again. It was like deja vu in a way right and he's like talking to jesus and jesus says peter do you love me do you love me more than these and a lot of commentators think he means more than the fish and fishing no it's not what he means he's talking about the other disciples because he said even though every one of these other disciples denies you i'll never deny you jesus he exalted himself he put his trust in himself because peter jesus just said you're going to deny me guess what peter denied him three times so three different times he says to Peter, three different times, do you love me? But the first time you remember, some of you, I've taught this before, the first time he says, do you agape me? Agapao is the verb. Agape is the noun. And it's a word that's often used for being just a sold out kind of love to God. Not always that way, but often throughout scripture. For God so loved the world, his love, agape. Do you agape me, Peter? Feed my sheep. In other words, Peter, if you love me, don't compete against your brothers. Bless them. Feed them. Feed my sheep. Because Jesus said, Peter, you're going to fall away. But when you're, I pray that your faith will not fail. And when you're restored, strengthen your brethren. He prophesied that. Now he's trying to get his focus on doing what's right. Strengthen your brother. Now you recognize, Peter, that it's so easy to fall on your face. It's so easy not to deny yourself, but to give in. It's so easy for you not to follow me and take up your cross, but think that you could do it on your own. Now you know what it means to fall on your face. Now, Peter, strengthen your brethren. He said he would strengthen his brethren after he's restored. Now he's saying, Peter, feed the sheep. One time he says, feed the lambs. It means young sheep. But the first two times he says, do you agapao me? But the third time it says, Peter, do you love me? And Peter says, you know that I love you? He said, it was, Peter was grieved that he said a third time, do you love me? And the English, if you read the English, you won't get it. You'll think it's because it happened a third time. And I believe that's part of it. Because Peter denied him what? Three times. He gives him an opportunity to affirm him three times. But he was grieved on the third time because Peter didn't say, Jesus didn't say, do you agapao me? He said, Peter, do you phileo me? In the Greek. You can read the Greek New Testament. Get it in linear. Do you phileo me? Meaning, do you even have a friendship, brotherly type love for me? Not even this. He's not asking for the sold out love. Do you even have this for me? And Peter was grieved because Jesus used a lesser word for love and was saying, do you even have that for me? And this is the thing about Jesus. He's real. And I talked at the beginning of the service. Are we going to be real with the Lord? Amen? Amen. He wants us to be real. He's real with us. Amen? He'll let us know. He says to the church of Ephesus, you're doing great in some ways, he says. 
You're testing those who say they're apostles and are not, and you found them liars. You hate the deeds of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. Check, check, check. I mean, you've got these things going for you. But I have this against you. You have left your first love. That's serious. You're doctrinally correct, but you're not, you don't have a passion for me anymore. He says, remember from whence thou art fallen. And that's what Peter was doing. He's remembering from what he fell from. Right? Amen. Remember from whence thou art fallen. Right? And that's the first thing he do is remember. Then he says, and repent. Do a 180. Amen. And do the things you did at first. Peter, get back to following me and strengthen your brethren. Feeding them. Amen. And then Jesus said to him, the disciples, follow me. And Peter's like, well, what about him? Talk about the apostle John. What about him? And Jesus says to him, if I come, if he's still alive when I come back, because John was a young guy, what it, he said, what's it to you? Peter, you follow me. And you could get your eyes off of Jesus by putting them on the waves, which Peter did, remember? The trials. And you could sink. Oh, he'll grab you. But if you resist his grabbing, you're in trouble. Or you can stop following because you put your eyes on other people. What's happened to you in the past? Maybe you were burned really bad. Maybe something happened to you. Or someone was a bad example to you or treated wrong. Don't let that keep you from following Jesus. Amen? Don't let anything keep you from following the Lord. Amen? In fact, let's read the very end of the passage. Because guess what? The very first word in verse 24 let's read just a couple more verses, is the word for. That connects it to verse 23. If anyone was going to be my disciple or come after me, follow me, he says he must what? Deny himself, must take up his cross daily and follow me. And then he says, for, this should give you incentive to do it, for whoever wishes to save his life will what? Will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake, he is the one who will what? Save it. In other words, guess what? Do the math. If you save your life, and you're like, no, I want to live my own life. I don't want to deny myself. I want to feed my flesh. I want self-gratification now. You can have self-gratification now, but it's going to cost you all of eternity. And you're not going to have eternal life. But you can deny yourself now, right? And deny the, the morsels that the devil hangs and baits you with. And put off self-gratification. And delay it. And guess what? Have eternal gratification forever and ever in the Lord's kingdom in a never-ending kingdom. Amen? For me, it's so easy to make the right decision mentally. Right? Now you have to put your feet there and follow him daily. Amen? But because it should be an abomination and just, just horrific to think of any other thing than following Jesus, every morning you should be able to make the right decision and say, no, I'm going to deny myself. I'm going to take out my cross daily and follow him. Because guess what? If I save my life, I'm going to lose it. And by the way, remember when I said discipleship is not an option? We're talking about life here. Amen? Amen. We're talking about being a disciple because if you're not a disciple and you save your life, you're going to lose life. But if you lose your life and give it to Jesus, you'll save it unto eternal life. In fact, in verse 24, he says, or verse 25, for what a man, what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses or forfeits himself? Brothers and sisters, there's other passages too where it says, what does a prophet man if he gains the whole world and loses his soul? Does it profit you? There's no profit. I encourage you right now in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. 
to make sure you're following Jesus. We have a serious problem. It's a heart problem, right? Jesus died to save us from our sins. He died to pay for your sins on the cross. Amen? He was buried. He rose again. But guess what? He didn't just die to pay for your sins. He also died so you could pay for your sins so you could be reconciled to him. Amen? And so he could live in you and empower you to live the life that he's called you to live. And what's sad to me is a lot of people, they don't take that step to deny themselves and follow him because they go, I can't, it's too hard to live that life. You're right, but you don't have a clue how easy it is when you are trusting the Lord and putting him first. It's much easier, amen? Because guess what? I, I long to be in his presence. I don't wake up in the morning like, man, I gotta follow Jesus today. Bummer. I am like, Lord, I'm so grateful to be in your kingdom. I can't wait to go to heaven. And Lord, I want to be a light right now and I want to spread your love around and shine the light of Jesus around and just be filled with your spirit and just help me have a beautiful day in you. And I know trials might come today, some really tough things might come, but I know you're going to be with me and get th- me through them. And I know as hard as they get, you're going to have grace upon me. You're going to get me through them and you're going to make me stronger if it's a hard day. If it's not a hard day, may I glorify you whether it's a hard day or it's an easier day. Amen? And just go forward to Jesus because there's going to come that time when we're going to die and we're going to be for the Lord if we have taken up our crosses, if we denied ourselves, if we're following him. If not, you save your life and say, no, I'm keeping it for myself. You'll lose it. Because Jesus had said also, just prior to this, he talked about himself being a stone. He's the chief cornerstone. If you come to him, you'll be broken. He'll break you and make you new, amen? But if you don't come to him, he says, he'll crush you like powder. I, I choose to be broken and humbled. God gives grace to the humble, but he resists the proud. Amen? Follow Jesus. Put him first. And you know what? If you haven't come to Christ yet, you can find that new power to live the Christian life by crying out to him first and foremost, admitting your sin and saying, God, have mercy on me. I'm a sinner. And then God will, the Lord God will forgive you through the shed blood of Christ that he died, shed on the cross for you. And then he'll come to live in you. And you'll have power to live that Christian life. I talk often about how we're in double trouble. We have a problem because we were guilty of sin and we have a sinful nature. But there's a double cure. He takes care of the guilt of sin because he died on the cross so we can be forgiven of that guilt through confessing to him as our Lord and Savior. Amen? Amen. And then he also takes care of that power of sin and that fallen nature by living in us. And we become partakers, it says, of the divine nature. Christ in us, the hope of glory. And we live for him and deny ourselves. We have power to overcome the flesh. Amen? Amen? A double victory, man. And that all comes through the gospel of Jesus Christ. I want to encourage you right now. If there's areas in your life when you're rebelling to God, deny yourself. It's not worth it. Pray, pray, pray. And when you're done praying, pray some more and keep praying that the Lord leads you not in temptation. Amen? Amen. But they deliver you from evil. For the spirit is willing, the flesh is weak, and we need to pray and be people of prayer. And we need to do this daily. Amen? And cry out to him and be used for him. Can we all please stand? We're going to pass out the cup and the bread.